Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Nerds Podcast number 752. Let's uh, have a conversation about a corkboard from the Nerdist community, which we call the Nerdist Community Corkboard. This is from Nerdist listener Pete Johnson. He is a sound designer for a web mobile video game company called Working Man Interactive. He says, we're about to put our first major independent release, Death State, and if you find it worth your while, we'd appreciate a shout-out. Here is your official shout-out. The game is a 16-bit style horror-themed roguelike bullet hell single-stick shooter. You can check it out at deathstategame.com. Next one. This is, says, uh, seeing as how... Didn't, didn't leave his name. You didn't leave your name. Seeing as how Chris is such a fan of Disneyland, I thought I'd let him know. And others about our podcast, The Mad Chatters. My two friends and I release a weekly show in which we simply chat about the happenings at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. We discuss the latest news, current construction projects, hello Star Wars land, it says, and our favorite and least favorite aspects of the parks. We create top five lists, share park trivia, dive into the park's history, sound off on some park pet peeves, and anything else you can think of in regard to Disney parks. Check it out on iTunes, madchatters.net. I really feel like Matt Meyer needs to listen to that and or be on it, too. Because everything, as much as I know about Disneyland... Myra, Myra goes deeper, but just about Disneyland. Oh, hey oh! All right, um, this episode is Dirk Alborn and Bebop Gresta. They are uh, in charge of Hyperloop. Now, there isn't a ton of specific information that I'm going to give you before. We're going to flesh it out in the podcast. But Hyperloop is basically um, imagine like a pneumatic tube system that would be a form of mass transit, so that you would be able to get. You know, for instance, from LA to San Francisco in maybe like 35 minutes. And it probably, I'm sure some of you may have heard of it for the ones who haven't. You probably think, oh, well, this is crazy and how could this happen? And, you know, but you start talking to them and you start researching and it seems like, well, it is theoretically possible. And so really it's just a question of building up the infrastructure and how are they going to do that? But they're really cool, interesting guys. And I am all, I am way on board Team Hyperloop if it, uh, I really want it to work out. You can check them out and, uh, and hear more about it on their Twitter feeds. Just Dirk at Just Dirk or at Bebop G Gresta, which is B I B O P G and then Gresta G R E S T A. But they're uh, super, super cool guys and love to have more science and industry people on. 
rather than just, you know, doesn't have to be all entertainment people all the time. And now here's the Nerds Podcast number 752 with Dirk Alborn and Bebop Gresta. Katie, Hyperloop the Thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. You guys have something common, right? Boasted MTV. A what? You boasted MTV. Oh, what? When was that? Yeah, in '95. Uh, what did you do? I did uh, the first year of Camden Town uh, MTV Italy, and then we moved to MTV Italy. Oh, and that's I fantastic! I set up the MTV production, and I had my own show. That's fantastic. Well. At that time, yes. Of course it was. <laughs> MTV Italy. How it was, was great. How was MTV Italy? It was the, 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 the year that I was working there was great. The first four years. Now they just destroyed it. It's just not existing anymore. The oh. MTV that we know. It's oh, yeah, yeah. The MTV in America is a lot different now, too. But it's really like it was the only country profitable of all MTV Europe. It was Italy. Not anymore. No. Didn't the Kardashians come out of MTV? No. No, they came out of E. The E the E channel. E channel's to blame. A lot of a lot of trash came out from MTV. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not particularly enthusiastic, but it was fun. Did they give you the five hundred pound to spend in dresses and Oh, I don't even know if it was that much. Like it was. You were in the UK, right? No, no, in America. Oh no, okay, okay. Did you do badly here? (laughs) (laughs) To us, they were giving us money to spend in dresses, and we've had the stylist. And no, we had a. I had a one wardrobe person and no no wardrobe budget. It was uh, if if you if you were to look back. The clothes that I was wearing on MTV were, were not only hilarious for the 90s, but really also just <laughs> shitty. Uh, they just weren't. It was all the. In America in the mid 90s, the aesthetic was gas station attendant. So it was a lot of these big gas station shirts with fucking chain wallets and, and giant boots and clothes that were too big. Uh, it was dreadful. Stuff. Good times. It, was, it, was, it was dreadful. It was dreadful. It'll all come back. So. <laughs> I know, it'll be retro. I remember it. I was four, so. Where did you grow up? Huh? Where did you grow up? Where? Yeah. In Italy. But which part? Uh, near Florence. Oh, nice. E io parlo italiano. Veramente? Un po', un po', allora, un po'. paesano. La, 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 la famiglia è italiana. <laughs> True. Yeah. He speaks Italian too. Ah, uh, it's not, you know. You can do it in Italian. Yeah, I, lived, uh, I lived 15 years in Milan, so. Oh, wow. I have to, uh, what, praticare? I have to practice? Yes, to praticare, you know. But because uh, it's been uh, molto tempo. But uh, ho studiato al scuola uh, per uh, quattro anni. Uh, wow, sì. your Italian is... Yeah, così, così. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we can't do the entire podcast in, in, yeah, in, in Italian. That, Italian. That's that, a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 the opposite. <laughs> no, no. And I can't translate it in English. That would be awesome. So nobody well, understands. You know, what's so funny <laughs> is that when, you know, when, you, when I've traveled around Italy... 
it's they're, they're so, they're so, it's so colloquial in the different regions. You'll go to one part and they say, no, we say it this way. And you go to another right. region and go, no, 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 we say it this right. way. Right. So it's, it's like food. It's a religion to us. You know? yeah. If you ask uh, what is the matriciana, they answer in 10 different ways depending on where you are sure. in the region. It's, it's okay. I do my best to speak, though, because I know that uh, I want to try to set a good example for America when I go over. Like, I'm going to try to speak your language. We just went to Austria, and I tried. I really tried to, to get <laughs> as much basic German as possible, right. and then, but it was it was bad. That's I didn't, what I, I didn't usually try to do with him, speaking German, but he doesn't no, he, understand. Yeah, me. he he believes he speaks French. <laughs> oh my god, I speak fluent French. So we went, we went, we went to Paris. No, they were understanding me and also giving me compliments. Yeah. You're jealous. I don't ever so we were, criticize we just, your we Spanish. Just, we just came back from China. Yeah. And he literally, like, I told him, shut up, because he was, like, just repeating what our translator was telling the taxi driver. <laughs> and the taxi driver was, like, completely, completely confusing. Was and you're like, what? what? He's like, no, 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 no. That was serious. I was repeating. Like, we, did, we were lost. And the taxi driver, they were discussing where it was. It was and he was just, two like. So how do you say, are you, so are you from, you're from Germany? I was born yeah. in Berlin, yeah. You were born in Berlin. So what is the colloquial way to say nice to meet you? Because I was doing a very little like, schon si zu treffen. Like, is that not... Yeah, that's okay. This is a bad word. What, is... <laughs> 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 what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's one way of saying what's it. A, what's, a, what's a very casual way to say it's nice to meet you? Um, hello? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute! <laughs> I don't think I can get that one. Down. Well, it depends if you like if you're formal or if you're friendly. Uh, sure, but it's just a bit, but basically, I would probably say "Freut mich Sie kennenzulernen." Okay. kennenzulernen. Nice. Okay, I'll play with that. I'll try. I'm trying. Well, you know, when you live in Europe, you, 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 it's so cross-cultural. You, 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 I think you're sort of. In order to live, you have, of course you have to communicate in five different languages because everyone. But here, you know, we're landlocked, and uh, so we just. Uh, well, wait, wait. I mean, if you know a little bit of Spanish in LA, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, of course, that's what. It, you know, it's funny. It's funny to me when I thought when I, I went to Austria and I thought, oh, you know, I'm just going to learn German because why not? And I was like, but. I probably should focus more on Spanish. <laughs> that'll probably apply. That'll probably be better for me in my daily life uh, in, in America. Definitely. But um, I'm very excited to have you both on because uh, the Hyperloop is such an interesting and wild and it seems like actually achievable idea uh, that, uh, you know, I just I wanted to hear more about it and hear what you guys are, wh where you're at and what some of the challenges are. I mean, you know, from my understanding, based on what I've heard Elon say, Elon Musk say before, is it is essentially like a it's like a pneumatic tube system, basically, or no, not the same. It's not really so. Um, so imagine a train, right? When you have a train and the train goes really fast, there comes a point where the air gets as sick as water. Mm -hmm. So um, you have a limit; you can't really go much faster. Um, so if you would now take that train and put it into a tube, and um, basically take the air out almost completely so you would create a low pressure environment so there's no resistance yeah so now the train can go much much faster so it's that it's basically that simple and now our job is to make it economical to make it you know <laughs> to make it actually something that's that um, you can 
pay for. Sure. I mean, that, that makes sense. It has a business model behind it. And, but from a, techno, a technological point of view, it's very simple. What about the logistical issues? I mean, how do you get all of the is it a statewide uh, is it a statewide initiative or do you have to work with municipalities all along the like the I5 freeway do you have to go to Gorman and be like we want to put a tube system through here you guys are going to have to be okay with that well i mean it's um you know it's it's a little bit more complicated than that in our case america is very complicated in general mm-hmm. right now we have um we are, we have private property we're actually starting to build next year the first uh, five mile track okay that's happening in california that's happening in it's called quay valley it's king's county uh right next to the i-5 so next time you drive up to san francisco you see it on the side okay um and that's private property so that's fairly easy but if you want to connect los angeles to san francisco for example you have to deal with uh, a lot of municipal you know um uh, offices you have to deal with caltrans for example it's it's not that easy um so we are actually more we are a global company we're actually more than a company we're actually a movement so our story is much more than just uh, hey these guys want to build technology because it's not really us it's uh, there's just a lot of people that are joining forces that are coming together from all areas and uh, you know with amazing backgrounds. If it's uh, if it's bebop or uh, guys that have built, uh, I mean we have people on the team that have been part of um, the the Mars rover, you know, of uh, the Manhattan Project mm-hmm. that have in, invented the insulin pump uh, and. All over the world. So we have team members in China. We have team members in Japan. We have team members in France. We really, it's, it's becoming a real movement, which is exciting. And it's a, it's a unique story because everybody is kind of like coming together. Our core team is 420 people. Mm-hmm. And they're working, everybody's working in exchange for stock options. So they're all basically co-founders of the company. Yeah, and if it works, those are going to be very valuable. I would <laughs> yeah, imagine. there's going to be a couple of people that are going to become uh, millionaires for sure. sure. But we have, I mean, we even have very large companies as part of the team. So we have AECOM, which is the largest construction engineering firm in the world that's part of the team and working in exchange for stock options. We have another company called Earlycon, which is the inventor of the vacuum pump mm-hmm. and they're part of the team working for stock options and a lot of others. So it's really – it's becoming a global movement and it's uh, – that's that's a really exciting part. It is – I mean the idea of – have there, have there been any great leaps in transportation in the past 50 years? I mean it seems like we're, we're still – the jet age is still the jets. I mean like they, they might be make, able to make minor improvements here and there. But ultimately the technology hasn't really – there's no like Moore's law of transportation Hell no. I mean, they're still using the same screws and uh, cast iron nails that the Chinese workers used when they put down the tracks. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, I mean, dinosaurs are, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not only because they're big as a train, but they also, I mean, but it's there's incredible. also an aspect of that. You know, if you see all the rails in the world, the width of the two rails, it's four point eight and a half mm-hmm. and this size was decided because of the Roman chariot. So the Roman <laughs> chariot that's how they build the road. Right. And if you think about it, the one of the most advanced transportation systems that we have right now, so the high speed rail, 
came out from the butt of two horses. <laughs> That's wow, crazy, wow. right? That is really that is really crazy, and that, and it's pretty much stayed that the entire yes. time. I mean, if if you look at um, even the maglev system, right, right, that was uh, actually developed in the 1930s. The magnetic trains, yeah, yeah. So in Germany in 1930, the first uh, test track was done in, 19, in the 1970s in Germany. So. I mean, we live in 2015. I just saw a flying, like, robotic butterfly. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do much better than, you know? <laughs> So if Hyperloop doesn't work, then we get giant robotic butterflies that can just take us up to San Francisco? Into it. <laughs> oh, really Way amazing. on board. I mean, it, uh, the, the prospect of traveling, even just from southern northern California in 35 minutes... Of course, I, I don't know if San Francisco would imp- appreciate the infusion of Los Angelinos. No, uh, they would because they could move <laughs> – people could work in San Francisco and move the fuck out of San Francisco. Of course. <laughs> like, no one wants to live there with those prices. They can move anywhere along that strip. If there, it's it, 20 it, minutes to work. But are there are, – does, does it operate the same way that a, that a train does? Are there stops along the way or is it a straight shot all the way? Does it have to – so the main, I mean, it's it's really about connecting two metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it also works as a local transportation system, but if you have stops, uh, you lose the speed, right? Sure. So you lose time. Um, it's uh, you would you would rather have an additional tube that maybe goes from one point to another point in the middle, yeah. For example. So to give you some numbers, we are able to transport twenty eight people each capsule, mm-hmm. and we are able to depart one capsule every thirty seconds. It means three thousand two hundred passenger an hour means sixty seven thousand people a day Jeez. means twenty four million people a year. Wow! We can substitute the entire flight industry from Los Angeles to San Francisco four times oh my God. with one tube. So if you do some stops, we over-engineered our pylons. So we, you can put more than one tube on each pylon. Right. So you can imagine to do other stops if, of course, the density of population and the necessity will require it. So we have no limits on what this system can do. Uh, to the actual transportation system. Is it, it would take me less time to work in San Francisco to get there than it does for me to get to the valley from here. Yes, yes. <laughs> like I'm just, it's... I would take a Hyperloop just to Santa Monica. Like, I, I would yeah. honestly, if I could get to Santa Monica in five yeah. minutes... On the uh, weekend, for sure. You <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I would do it. Actually, we are trying to solve uh, the entire problem because if we solve the problem to move one, people, one person to point A to point B at the speed of sound, and then you take two hours to go to the station, we haven't solved anything, right? Right. So we are thinking the system in a way that it's able to allow you to push a button and then a taxi, an Uber, or a self-driving car picks you up, mm-hmm. brings you to the local Hyperloop station. The local Hyperloop station departs you to the main station. The main station brings you to destination Everything in 50 minutes. Wow. And now we are redefining completely how we see transportation between cities and inside cities. Wow. I mean, it's not only that. I don't know. You travel probably a lot, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't yeah. it suck? Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it, it, it's it, – and it, you know, the, the, because it's not even – last year I was doing a comedy tour and um, uh, this comedian named Louis C.K. was on the tour and he had a pri- Louis had a private jet. That he was using on the tour. So he had a private jet from Atlanta to New York, and he said to some of the comedians, hey, do you want to hop on the jet and fly to New York? And we said, well, fuck him. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, And uh, 
we flew on a Citation 10, which is very fast. I think it's the, maybe the fastest jet that you can get on as a, as a civilian. And we were Atlanta to New York in two and a half hours, and no one was tired. And then I realized, oh, it's not the actual traveling part. It's all the shit that goes around the traveling part Definitely. that is completely exhausting. And, uh, and so, you know, if you could eliminate that, not only is that more efficient, but also it's more human energy efficient. Well, that's why I drive to Las Vegas. I'm like, well, it's I can get in a car and get there in four hours. I don't have to drive to LAX, get through security at LAX, land at McCarran, wait in the giant taxi line. Really, I'm probably costing myself an hour of time, but mentally sure. it's just like I get in, I drive, I get to the hotel. Yeah. It's done. Yeah, That's why we are rethinking about everything. The, the, the passenger experience has to change. What we are experiencing right now is broken. Come on, we go to the airport. There's these giant lines, and then you're just entering in this like a uh, no um, like a bubble where after um, the check-in you're basically a prisoner. And yeah. you feel like <laughs> 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 this is you know this is broken. We will yeah. fix it. I mean, I don't think I don't think it takes a genius to redesign those things, right? I mean, every time I'm there, I feel like I feel like a beast. Right, it's sure. like an animal. Like it's you're being herded like here. It's yeah. it's it's insane. It's, well, also, I mean, unhuman. The, the the bureaucracy of, I mean, I think change is difficult in large organizations, particularly organizations that are regulated by the government that have a large bureaucracy and things. You know, it, it even changing those screws. I would. I'm guessing. Is probably a you know cost a shit ton of money and takes a long time through a decision making process. But it used to be better. Right. I mean, traveling used to be an experience, right? It used to be something you looked forward to. Now traveling is like the last thing I really want to do. <laughs> like being in the other city, yes. But like the travel experience in itself, no. And if you look at really the technology we have every and we're using every single day, I mean, we have to do actually with a lot of national security labs. Sure. Right. And the technology that these guys, that the government has uh, and is using for surveillance, is using for... I mean, they can do much, much better than the guys that are eating McDonald's and are looking at your luggage and right. have you pull, pull your pen out. I mean, it's uh, – but there's even – you know, when you travel a lot, you know, you get to better airports and you're like, hey, wait a second. Why is this working? You know, yeah. and then you come back to LAX, for example, and you're like, no, it can't be. <laughs> you, know what they, you, know, you know, LAX did something very, very sneaky, which is if you come into the Bradley Terminal, the International Terminal, terminal yeah. it's gorgeous. Because I think they want people from other countries to think, our airport's awesome. <laughs> then when you're flying domestic, LAX is the worst airport in the United States. It is a legitimate disaster. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it hasn't – they haven't – I don't think they've changed LAX since they built LAX. There's no well, way to get – they're in the midst of it right now. They're, the never-ending construction process is going on. I, maybe they're making headway, but I've just basically seen the same boarded up walls for the last few years yeah. and very little very little progress. Just hoping that Terminal 3 Skybridge gets reopened soon, guys. Oh, God. <laughs> I have a very bad news for people that are traveling in there. The security system that seems really secure is not secure at all. So it's all what you see in the airport. Yeah. Actually, it's breakable and, you know, there's 
several videos online that can show you how to do it. This is yeah. I don't want to know. I travel too much. Exactly. I just like to. I just like to go. Well, I'm, uh, hopefully it's fine. Right. Uh, I got to travel and I don't have a choice. Yep. Uh, it's not. <laughs> Damn it! But I mean, there's so many, so many things, right? Uh, I mean, you know where you got to go. You, the airline knows where you have to go. Your phone knows where you have to go. But your luggage. Right. It's just uh, I mean, when I arrive, I, I remember we were coming back from Dubai yeah. or so like so it was 15 hour flight and we were standing there and I was waiting 40 minutes for my luggage mm-hmm. just to figure out that be- before I arrived, someone decided to take my luggage off the band and it was standing somewhere somewhere else in the corner. I mean, uh. those things can be solved e- super easily with technology that, you know, was your luggage actually lost? Is it already arrived? I mean, there's barcodes if you want to make it low-tech, but even high-tech. Te- high we have all those solutions. It's just about, you know, saying, hey, we want to make it again an, an experience. So that's besides traveling super fast and in a green mode, because that's one of the most important things for the Hyperloop, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we are also trying to really work on it. And we know that airlines, airports, uh, train operators, they're talking to us because they they have the same interest, but they might not have the startup mentality, you know, and um, so we're working together to try to solve those issues. Yeah. Is the technology there yet? Is it, I mean, do you have it or is it, you're close? Yeah, yeah. Are you talking about the Hyperloop or are you Hyperloop. talking about the back? The Hyperloop. <laughs> yeah, Hyperloop, I mean, the technology is... Um, is not the problem. The technology is 20% of what really has to happen in order to see hyperloops everywhere. Um, as, I, as I explained earlier, you have really, when, when we talk about the hyperloop, there's, we, we know how to levitate trains. We know how to move them forward. We know how to build tubes and we know how to evacuate them. So the company that's uh, part of our team, they built a CERN hydrogen collider. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they, that's, that's very similar, and it's a, in a complete vacuum. So our system is actually much, much easier. Um, the technology is really not the problem. Yeah. When we're talking about efficiency, it's not about, you know, only being green or being hippie, saving the world. We like that. But the immediate consequences of what we are doing is that the system is able to generate more electricity that we consume. Mm-hmm. So actually, if you, if you do a, a comparison with any other system, for example, high-speed rail, we are also profitable, and high-speed rail is not. All these guys are people subsidized by the state. Right. There's but, no one project in the world that it's profitable right now. Wow. But not only high-speed rail. I mean, just take that, the metro in LA. For each passenger, you pay $12. Yeah. Oh, Wow. What, as a taxpayer? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. It's subsidized yeah, with $12 per person. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm not even riding the metro. I know. Well, you pay. I mean, you get to sit in that traffic on Wilshire while they try to build it. Well, they keep having to scoop out all the tar that's yeah. leaking from, yeah. the, from oh, the tar pits. But building the stop uh, 40 feet from the tar pit is not a great idea? <laughs> Maybe it's not a great are idea. You, wait. Are you yeah. saying, but this is all seeping in. Can't we just use this? Well, you know, uh, no. also in a, in a town that's uh, you know, seismically I, stable. It's going to take seven more years than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is it... But, you know, uh, being in a vacuum, I mean, how psychologically uh, equipped are people to travel in a vacuum in a tube? Do you think Do you think that's for everyone? Well, we're not we're not really in a vacuum, right? It's a low pressure environment. It's actually very similar to an airplane. I mean, you're in high altitudes, right? There's a very low air pressure. 
it's not that when they o would open the door at the, those high altitudes you would feel that well um <laughs> it's it's basically exactly the same thing but it's more it's way safer than on an airplane really yeah oh yeah of course but even even if there's a slight deviation that's still you're able to monitor we're like yeah. 10 times safer than an airplane Yes. How so? An airplane, an airplane um, has a coefficient of 0 0.07 in the, in the, let's say, safe uh, parameters means uh, you expect to break, to have an accident uh, every 3.7 years. Mm -hmm. And this is not acceptable for us. Uh, our system is based on technology that actually monitor inside and outside in real time. Uh, our capsules are like ants, communicates one um, with each other and can monitor and scan what happens inside the tube. Imagine that if we have some failure in the engine, we just stop. If an airplane has a failure, you just die. <laughs> right, of course. Well, what about what about if the tube? What about if there's you know a geological tube deviation? Tube misalignment uh, are if they are exceeding a certain parameter, the system will stop. But we have a compensation system mm -hmm. that are made basically on the fact that we are built on pylons. Pylons are one of the most resistant you know, structure for earthquakes, for example. Uh, we've seen over and over um, pipelines built in several parts of the world resisting earthquakes up to 8.5 uh, uh, Richter scale right. and these are uh, only the beginning of what we are doing because we are applying the, the most advanced technologies in terms of building but imagine that for us safety is applied to every single component of the Hyperloop at the end of the day also safety it's, it's very important but we also analyzed all the comfort People is, are, are worried about, you know, uh, do I feel claustrophobic inside the capsule? There's no windows. But um, human eye sees at 120K, okay, as a definition of pixel. Mm -hmm. In reality, above 15K, we already cannot distinguish reality. So what we did, we put screens mm -hmm. all over the capsule at 15K and above to basically allow people to feel like they are watching outside. Looking outside, yeah. But the, the, the funny thing, the, our in-capsule entertainment uh, team is developing um, the entertainment system that allow you to basically experience the travel that you are actually doing or the travel that you wish to do uh -huh. or the travel that you are doing in the future or in the past. Oh, that's, that's so. cool. That's a complete new experience. And inside the capsule, you can be active or passive. If you're active, actually, and you are skilled uh, in something, maybe there's someone else that thinks that these skills can be paid. And you're not anymore paying for the travel. You, you get paid to be in the Hyperloop. Oh, so you, cool. we are redefining completely the, the user experience inside our capsule. So you would have to... So if you're, so if you're connecting Los Angeles and San Francisco... You would have to build two tubes, I imagine, right? Correct, right, right for for going and coming. I mean, you don't you don't have to, but um, you want to have because of for capacity issues, right? right. And then, uh, uh, would you is is the is the plan to go directly into San Francisco, just like right in the middle of San Francisco, from right from the middle of Los Angeles? I mean, that's one of the advantages of uh, of a train, you know, towards an airplane. And normally, airports are outside because. You have the airports coming in. You have security issues with the landing and the departures. Uh, trains can arrive directly into the center. So that's that's one of the large advantages. Yeah. 
But we hope that will be the first Hyperloop, but we don't want to disappoint anyone. (laughs) We don't think this will be the first route that we will be completing. Um, America, it's a very complicated uh, country. We hope maybe maybe there's a change of regulation or something. So why why try it in America if, if we're so complicated? Why not go someplace where it's where you it's can make super- it here? You can make it anywhere, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're building we're building the first um, full scale version right now in America on private property, mm-hmm. right? And um, we start out as an American company, even so we're more like a global movement. But, um, I mean, there's a whole world, and we're a company. So, if uh, obviously, it takes a high-speed rail right now 20 or 30 years to, to build a project if it, if it happens. Wow. And uh, you always have lawsuits and uh, all these issues and people that are trying to make money of it. If you go in other countries um, where, I mean, we have real problems. We have there are cities out there. If you go to Beijing, you don't see the sky. Right, there's 30 million people living there. They're, they don't know where to put them. Um, so imagine if you can build another city 100 kilometers away, and now those people are within um, 10 minutes. They can be inside Beijing. I mean, it's, they it's, can it's live really nicer. like standing on the precipice of we're going to put these freeways, and then you're going to have a car, and you don't have to live. It's but it's just like a it's a it's a mass. Uh, solution to that to the, in a similar way. It's something that we have to do because it's. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Come on, how how often do you stand in LA traffic, for example? Right? Oh yeah, it's, it's the worst. But you know what's interesting is that if you if you you know as as cramped as a lot of Ameri- as a lot of American cities can feel, when you travel across the United States, you realize that there is actually vast space. There's, there's a large plots of land with nothing on them for hundreds of miles so it is i mean i i do see it as being a theoretical solution to being able to get people working in cities but then you know living living. it's a it's a practical solution i mean in india they're they're planning several satellite cities outside of the larger metropolitan areas and uh, they're they're planning those future cities um you know in real in america we don't have that big of a problem yet and when you talk about cities that have 30 million, 50 million people, that's a real problem. Right? Yeah. So, um, and those, de- uh, those, those countries that don't really have any infrastructure developed, I mean, building, building infrastructure that co- continues to cost you money is, you know, doesn't make sense. And going and build something in China that pollutes even more doesn't make sense, as an example, right? You already don't see the sky. You, we need to do something green. So it's about how we can change our life, how we can – I mean if you go back and you, you go and read uh, Popular Science from 1969, the, the, the Minister of Transportation of the U.S. government said that tube travel is one of the most important things for America in 1969. They financed two projects that actually um, did prototypes for tube travel. Aren't there aren't – there, isn't there – tube travel that goes back to the 19th century didn't they try yeah, they yes. did like some sort of a high pressure yeah. low pneumatic pressure rail system well, in, in like, reality, like a pneumatic rail system that, like there was a giant like the high pressure air pushing I mean I know it's a slightly different principle than what you're no no the reality the initial project was 1870 mm-hmm. and was supposed to co- to connect New York to San Francisco between Warren and Broadway the first uh, mile was Digged, mm-hmm. and it was a, a, a train in a vacuum, basically. 
the uh, Pennsylvania uh, Vacuum um, Beach Company was called. <laughs> it lasted two years and then it bankrupt, but oh. <laughs> the concept was there. And in 1904, uh, Robert Goddard, a very famous uh, sure, of um, yeah, inventor, patented a solution that was very similar to the Hyperloop. So it started in the 18th century. Wow. So what's the big problem now? Is it really just all the bureaucracy? That, is, that the, is that the last hurdle? I don't, to be honest, I don't think um, there are any big problems. It's just about moving forward. Sure. So everything that we have ahead of us are things that can be solved fairly easy. So How far are we away? Well, construction starts next year. So, 36 um, months. Oh, wow. That's not bad, actually. It's <laughs> not bad. Well, we're a private company, so we need to move fast. Yeah. How did you guys get involved? Did did Elon call no, you? No, so Elon is not involved at all. He's right? not involved at all. He um he came out with a concept and basically said, "Hey, it would be really cool if someone would do this. Um I'm busy <laughs> I'm busy with Tesla and SpaceX. Um yeah, so here it is." Uh at that time we reached out. I was, you know, we we just had um launched a, a website called Jumpstart Fund. Um, that that uses crowdsourcing to make technologies and ideas into successful companies. So it mm-hmm. builds communities, and so we 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 reached out. So it is a great project to put on the site. Did it? The community was you know going crazy about it. They really want like rather than just saying hey you guys should do it, they actually said I want to be part of this. So we created the company. We said everybody who would like to work on it in exchange for stock options, please apply. We had more than 200 applications, got a team together of 100 people that uh, put in a minimum of 10 hours a week, and that's how it started. Now we have 420 plus several very large companies. Wow. It, it, there, there is, do you have scale versions that you've been playing with? We have, uh, we have done basically the, as all the different components have been prototyped, mm-hmm. you know, and um, some of them are difficult to scale. So um, you have to do it component-wise, and then now, obviously, we're going to be optimizing in Quay Valley uh, right after construction. Is there going to be a tiny Disneyland version of the Hyperloop? <laughs> well, <laughs> the kids on? no, it would be a full scale. We would be able to transport 10 million people. So the only problem is that we cannot reach the 760 miles per hour, but uh, except for the speed. Um, it's too short of a track. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. How long does it, I mean, how fast does it accelerate? What what do you need to do? Okay. Yeah. One so. G is one G is um you know, we have one G in acceleration and deceleration, zero point five G lateral, which is very comfortable. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Have you have you put yourself in any have you done tests yourself to see what it would feel like? I'm sure your car does more than one G. <laughs> your car does more than one yeah. G. Yeah. Oh it does? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. You have a Jaguar. All right. You have a Type R Jaguar. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Go hit some Gs. <laughs> Although not in Los Angeles. You don't do any Gs in Los Angeles because no. you're just constantly stopping and starting. This is why we need a Hyperloop. Right. I, You know, honestly, I would – if I had an – I mean, it's – having your own space in your car is nice. But honestly, if I had a, if I had a better option – so our public transportation systems, I mean, LA is once again not fantastic in terms of public transportation. I mean, I – I you go I go to other cities and and I know that uh, they're, they're sort of, they they're built around their public transportation and in here it's just it's a mess. But oh, it used to be much better. Patchwork. Did you know that it used to be great? It used to be awesome, and then Ford came. And they and, got rid of the red and car said, and said, "Hey, we need to buy. We need to sell some cars. Let's 
tore everything out. And it was it the most uh, advanced rail system in the planet, America. And someone decided that it wasn't <laughs> wasn't profitable, profitable for them. For them. I mean, Los Angeles, you know, there were a lot of streetcars, and if you look at the old yeah. pictures, yeah, even if you look at a lot of the old uh, alleyways. They I were mean, look, Pacific Rail Car, Santa Monica Boulevard, yep. right? There was. I well, mean, the frame Roger Rabbit explained that that guy was just trying to build yep. the freeway system yeah, yeah, for yeah, all yeah. the cartoons. Exactly. What happened. Uh, I, I when do you think once you start building, you will be able for to start, I, get, I don't know, human testing, for lack of a better word, when will you actually start being able to put... 2018. That's, wow. Yeah. Well, that's when the testing is over, but we open up to the public. So eight, 2018, 19. You'll, 2018, 19, I can hop on and ride five miles? You yeah. guys going to be there at the first it. ride, so when we open it. it up. And then beyond that, what do you, what do you foresee for the future? Well, right now we have uh, more than 20 city pairs mm-hmm. that are interested in having a first full-length Hyperloop. Um, but we need to do Quay Valley first. We need to optimize the boarding procedures, the capsule handling, all these things. And um, right around that time, probably a little bit earlier, we will be starting the next construction of the first four lengths. Probably, I mean, right now we have interest in America, in Europe and other countries. As I said earlier, America uh, America and Europe are more complicated, so it will would take 20, 30 years. So it's much more likely to see the first full-length Hyperloop done in, in Asia, the Middle East, Africa, Indonesia. India. Sure. Uh, but this is something that we hopefully will see in our lifetimes. No, yeah. no, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> once, once it's up, it's going to go very, very fast. Because if you can imagine everybody wants high-speed rail right now all over the world, but it's cost money. Now, our system makes money after eight years. Oh, wow. So you recover all your money within eight years. It's not about spending $20 billion if you get them back and if you even make, continue making money. So if you build a green transport system that starts making money, everybody wants it and everybody will want it very fast. What's the pri- what, what, what are you envisioning the price point to be for an average passenger to travel? So LA to San Francisco is um, around $30. Oh, my God. And um, But we're actually looking at uh, other alternatives in order to monetize on the passenger. Because a ticket is very much 1800 right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can do much better than a ticket. So if you think of a very it's – a, it's actually a very low ticket price. And uh, if we can find a way that we can make more money the more the passenger rides, now having a ticket is actually has, – has actually a negative impact. So being able to make more money, you know – just like, I don't know, when I was a kid, video games, we had, I had to pay for them. They were super mm. expensive. Today they're free and the video game companies are making way more money than before. Or if you look at Facebook and Google, the large infrastructures that you're getting for free and they're super profitable. I mean, we have your time, if you do LA to San Francisco, for 40 minutes. Right. It's one thing, right? Um, we know where you come from. We know who you are. We know where you go to. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of new business models that you can build around that. So that at least in off-peak times, you don't need to pay. Right? Mm. That's crazy. 
That's Plus, the, I mean, as the as IoT becomes more of a thing, you know, you're really going to know literally everything about me as I walk out the door. Exactly. My shoes have are connected to the internet. My watch <laughs> is connected to the internet. My toaster toasted when I woke up because it knew when I was getting up. Hooray! And I get on the Hyperloop. It's like, hey, how was that toast, buddy? <laughs> get out of my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I use some uh, orange juice, huh? Well, yeah. it's a dollar fifty. You, you have to imagine that we are designing also different kind of capsules. There's first class, second class, freight. Uh, or special purpose. For example, we can allow companies to request the special capsules. He wants for... a party capsule. <laughs> I want the bebop capsule. Can you can you stand up in a capsule once it's moving? Or of course. Just... Oh, you can. Yeah, you can die. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you can just like an airplane. It's like an airplane. Yeah. yeah. So you're so not. It's not like a tiny car that you're strapped no, in. No, absolutely. It's not the Matterhorn. No. I don't know. <laughs> but, but imagine Matterhorn's terrible, by the way. That is my Matterhorn is my least favorite Disney. Right. I get. I get injured every time oh, it's the I'm on backbreaker. The, the Matterhorn. Yeah, the yeah, jerking yeah, and the yeah, it's so uh, yeah. you know everything else is great but that. But no, people imagine, always... for example, Disney can uh, request uh, a capsule for kids. Uh, Cisco wants a capsule for their manager to uh, be able to communicate private capsules. Different... Exactly. Yeah. Or medical. For example, you know, you need to transport, you know, people that uh, is injured or organs. So we have Literally, we can disrupt uh, all the uh, industries uh, in transportation. So you're talking to airlines, for example, right? They want to um, really control the, the the experience as well. I mean, they're trying to make the experience sure. better, mm. right? Mm. So once it's better, they're, they're also trying to control it. And uh, part of that might be having their personalized Hyperloop capsule for their passengers, which then connects you to the airport. And gets you to your flight. I mean, I would imagine that getting a personalized capsule is probably a lot less expensive than getting a, a jet, a, pr a private jet. Absolutely, because you're not really because there's no fuel, there's no fuel to pay for it. It's just, you're just, it's just it's just air. It's just air. An average capsule costs from two million to two and a half million. Right. But operational oh, costs are very much low. less than a jet. <laughs> much less than a jet, <laughs> and it costs four hundred thousand to a million to have a private jet every year. So I think this is the way to go, guys. You know, the ones that are actually crazy expensive are the are the are boats like yachts. Right. Yeah, you got to pay a crew. Yeah, yachts are like eighty hundred million dollars. <laughs> you got to have, have a, a pirate contingency <laughs> plan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what? But are you, you have bikinis on a boat. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, bikini hyperloop. It might might be really worth it. Is it is it so? Uh, what do you think the because obviously there, there's going to be some type of with this kind of a paradigm shift, there's going to be some butterfly effect that's going to obviously affect every other form of transportation. Like, what do you what do you envision happening? Do you envision airlines forcing to, you know, will airlines start to go out of business because they have to drop prices to compete with the loop? Or I mean, first of all, I don't think they're going to go out of business. It's um, But they are going to be specializing on long distance. Short distance might not make sense anymore. Sure. Uh, long distance still is going to be a business model. And... Uh, I, I mean, there's always going to be someone that's going to be out of business because they're not smart enough to get the shift. I don't right. think that it's it's because of us, but it's just a market shift. Millennials today don't want to pay for anything anymore. Right. Right. So <laughs> if uh, they really don't, yeah. But so so you need to get smarter. You need to find better business models that work much better. And um, we know by effect that certain airlines are looking at the same things we're looking at because they're asking us. They're they're consulting with us. They want to work together with us. So uh, and it's not only airlines. I mean, there's a whole move, but obviously they're very large companies. They're very slow a lot of the times. Um, 
I, I, I mean, our hope is that we move towards a greener transportation system because that's really what we need. Well, yes, especially as you know, as fuel prices go up and as as fossil fuels go down, go bro. Away. They're going down, bro. Fifty dollars a barrel. What? What? <laughs> for now, <laughs> but, you know, for uh, you know, for 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 aircraft. I mean, it's you know, how much? Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I think what's it's just like they have to like the fuel costs rise. They have to squeeze in more seats. They have to make it more uncomfortable for the passenger. I don't fit anymore. I, yeah, in you're economy tall. Class, you're, there's you're, no way no. that it's it's almost impossible for me to sit. Anyways, every single time we travel and we travel a lot, we're always standing there and like this has to stop. This has to be. <laughs> there has to be a better solution. It's good that to you guys this. will never lose motivation because you'll always be traveling. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. We're visiting another 14 countries in another month and a half. Oh, boy. Yeah, we are in a world tour. And, you know, the basic idea is to promote and to let the people know. Uh, so the if truth everybody about wants it. to sponsor our business class, please <laughs> let us know. Yes, please. <laughs> but the, the amazing thing is the uh, overwhelming um, response of the people worldwide. It's unbelievable what's happening right now. We are like treated like rock stars, and you know they love the concept. They want it to happen. And uh, actually, we are meeting um, president of states, uh, you know, ministry of transportation. It's getting really serious discussion. So, what do you do when you sit down with someone and they go, "What? That's crazy! You can't do that. That you can't build a tube system all over the." What do you mean? You're no. nuts! It'll never work. Normally, we smile. <laughs> and then we do it in the Italian way. They disappear. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, but we had that happen actually a lot of times. Yeah. So you have especially like, you know, specialists from uh, railway and so on. So first they say we we just had one of those cases actually in in China. So they came to visit us and it was all about like, no, that's not possible, that's not possible. And then when we came there, they actually we got an email let's have a meeting, a separate meeting before. And one of the guys was like, okay, I'm going to work with you and we're going to do all the thing. And then the whole rest of the crew was like, okay, so let's work together and make this together happening. So they're first they're saying, no, no, no. But then at the end, it's always, we want to be part of this and uh, we want to help you guys make this happen. Well, can you just give me a, just a real quick explanation of, you know, for in, lay, in layman's terms, uh, exactly how the technology works and how you and ha- how you guys are laying it out. Sure. Um, so you imagine a capsule, mm-hmm. right? That's uh, hovering inside a tube, and uh, it's moving really, really fast inside the <laughs> tube. Basically, you create a low pressure environment, so you reduce the air inside the tube. So that's a capsule similar to an airplane that goes into high altitudes. Yes. Uh, encounters very little resistance and therefore can go very fast with very little energy. Then we use alternative energy, so um, solar, wind, uh, regenerative braking, kinetic energy to produce more energy than we're using. Oh, wow. And that's it. That's literally it. That's it. Uh, And do you plan on... uh do you think it's important to build like a futuristic fancy... I mean, because this is a very futuristic idea... And just in turn, I mean, I know the technology is not, but I think people will see it as like, oh, it's a futuristic idea. Do you feel like the aesthetic has to match what people would expect this kind of thing to be? I think it's actually almost the opposite. Really? Because if you, you know, if there's an 80 year old woman, 
you know, and she hears, oh, crazy, you get in a tube and it's so super fast. Like, you actually want to assure her and make sure that she feels safe. Right. Right. So it has to be something that fits for a two-year-old as much as for an 80-year-old. So uh, it's, uh, but that doesn't mean that it should be lame, but it should be something that, you know, like a modern aircraft, like something you would, but still expect, like a modern train. Yeah. Um, and not something where you're like strapped in into like a weird seat and you have never seen in some strange screens. Um, so it's, psychology, I think, is very important. That's good. Mm-hmm. And and if you hate the other people who are in your capsule, you're only in it for 30 minutes. So, what's, so you don't right. have to deal with them for long. Well, knowing the passenger before, you can also, you know, work on the data and you, create that's, new. That's a, that's an that's an upsell, right? If you right. pay a mm. uh, hundred bucks per ride, you get uh, to choose one of the models that might be traveling with you. <laughs> oh, interesting! <laughs> interesting. Right? Or you can just buy out the whole capsule. Right. And then not What's the to... like long term? You know, seventy five years from now, when this thing is built completely and it's over the entire country, it, it, it would be faster than this. Great, great. Let's chop it down to 40 years we'll say 30 whatever you want to say (laughs) oh 10 years in 10 years how long is it going to take me to get in a hyperloop and get to new york from los angeles well we're not really uh long distance right so it's more like a metro system Mm -hmm. so you would probably in order i don't remember the map right now but uh you would probably go to vegas and then from vegas you move over you know so you change a couple you change a couple of times yeah um, you know, but it's still depending on how you how long you stop in Vegas, yeah. and, and also you have to you have to check uh, how the uh, air industry will evolve because mm-hmm. if they finally will do the um, ultrasonic flight, then our role will be basically you know more a metro system. If the these guys doesn't move yeah. <laughs> fast enough, we can head to expand into. Like larger yeah. chunk of you know land. Your move, airlines. <laughs> <laughs> move. So where where can people get more information about the the hyperloop? Um, well, they can come to hyperloop.global. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the domain we're using, or they can go to www.jumpstartfund.com, and there's a project. Um, they can apply to be part of the team. They can uh, be part of the discussions, and uh, we're actually going to be putting several tasks live uh, very, very soon so they yeah. can actually be participating. We are searching for a lot of talent out there. Uh, if you are an engineer, uh, a social media manager, marketing manager, people that wants to change the world and they are powered by passion, yeah. like our team, please apply. I guarantee you someone listening just heard that and they're in a job that they hate and they just went, oh my God, but I have to apply for this. This is exactly what I've been waiting for. But that's exactly how most of the people that we have are, uh, you know, they they want to be part of something that changes the world, um, that, that they can be proud of. And uh, everybody, I mean, you know, even Ben who brought us here. He is part of the team, so he's working for his stock <laughs> options. And uh, Andrea, and Andrea you know, they're, that's uh, that's we are all. It's the same for us. So, uh, and and I think that's what makes this project so exciting. That it's it's more than just a normal company. It's really a movement, and it's driven by passion and people that want to see a change. And wh- because of that, because we have so many talented people, we are able to look at much more than just uh, the levitation technology. But really trying to solve all those problems and issues and come up with something a little bit more fun and engaging and hopefully, you know, in ten years 
in my in, in uh, you know what I want is that it's again fun to travel that it's not about um, getting to the destination but it's actually you know the journey the journey excellent uh, thank you so much for being here this was really really fascinating and I, and I hope it works out I really hope that you're oh, able will. I really hope you're able to do this. Are you going to join the team? or What do you want me to do? Well, I can come up with a couple of things. All right. Yeah. Give me some stock. I'll join the team. <laughs> I'm in. Perfect. Awesome. So if, right. you, if, you want to, if anybody else wants to join you, right, they just come and apply. Excellent. Don't, don't forget your 83B. Got to file that quick. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Thank you, advisor. All right. Enjoy your Hyperloop burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity... That is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar. Like a liar. And if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal, or you love to hop in the Wayback Machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes, you should tune in to our podcast, Morbid. Follow Morbid on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to episodes early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.